Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And Ed, today we have scheduled a guest, but unfortunately, we're having some technical issues. No, no. <laughs> Fiber optic is down, so we need those Google helium balloons to cover the world with internet. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. Let's just quick check. Kevin, are you able to hear us at this point? Yes, I can, Ed. How are you? All right, rocking. Well, let's give this a shot. All right, Kevin, we're thrilled to have you. Folks, we have on the line uh, a gentleman I've been dying to have on the show ever since it started, and it's the president of probably the most prestigious pricing organization in the world, the Professional Pricing Society. And I'm proud, as I know Ed is, uh, to say that we have spoken at PPS conferences in the past, so we've met Kevin many times, and I just think that this organization has done more to put pricing not only on the map, but they, they moved it into the C-suite of organizations. And Kevin is the president of the Professional Pricing Society. He's also the publisher of the Pricing Advisory Monthly Newsletter and the Quarterly Journal of Professional Pricing, which I'm also proud to say have, have published some articles by me. And Kevin is a frequent speaker at pricing conferences and events in North America and Europe, where he often discusses trends and demographic changes within the pricing discipline. And before joining PPS in 2007, he worked for 11 years in various financial management fields with Colgate, Palmolive, and General Electric. He has a BA degree in economics and English, which is an interesting combination, Kevin, from Duke University, and an MBA in marketing from the William E. Simon Graduate School of Business at the University of Rochester. Kevin lives in Atlanta, and his hobbies include music, cooking, and sports. Kevin, welcome to the Soul of Enterprise. Thank you so much, Ron. I'm very excited to be here. It is always good to talk with you, and, we've and lost thank you for again, the glowing right? introduction. Up, oh, he's in and out. He's in and out. Can we anyone can't hear, hear me? This is Kevin Mitchell. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? 
If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're having some technical difficulties here, but our engineers are working on it. And so in the meantime, we're just going to keep rolling with our special guest. Kevin Mitchell, the president of the Professional Pricing Society. And Kevin, I know you joined PPS in 2007, but can you give us a little hand what you were doing before then? Absolutely. Well, first of all, Ron, thank you very much for the nice introduction. I think I was blushing so hard I may have shut down our uh, phone systems here. But uh, PPS, I'm sorry? Um, for me, PPS is a family business, so I have been around it for almost as long as I can remember, and uh, I remember being a schoolboy and working over summers as the organization that became PPS kind of started. We have a 30-year history as an established corporation and kind of existed in an introductory state for several years before that. Uh, part of my personal history, let's see, when I was either in junior high or maybe in high school, I remember building our first database of our members for the Professional Pricing Society, and this was so far back that this would have been probably before DBase 3 and Excel and all that. I think we did it on 123 Lotus, which is... Uh, then again, we're talking several decades ago, so my memory may be faulty from back then. And um, after school and after graduate school, I, of course, stayed in touch with the organization and worked for a couple of very large corporations that you mentioned for a while in various fields. And as our founders, I mentioned for me this is a family business, so Eric Mitchell, our founder, was 
planning on retiring, and so we had lots of get-togethers, and I came back into the fold, as you mentioned, in early 2007, and have been with TPS ever since, and we've had the great opportunity to kind of spread the gospel across the globe, electronically and in person, about pricing and related fields. I've had the opportunity to meet folks like you, and of course, Mr. Ed Kless also at our events, who, and both of you have been valued speakers at our events, and also through our publications and other electronic and in-person networking operations there. Um, but for me, basically, this I grew up around pricing and around PPS as first a, uh, a small business, a, a family business, and it has grown over the years. And now, basically, we would act as a small company in our second generation going strong here. And uh, I've been back for, as you mentioned, it is now eight, almost nine years. Wow, that's great. And Kevin, what, what, what's your relationship with to Eric? Uh, he is my father. So, oh, okay. Uh, uh, Eric has uh, three sons. I am the oldest. And uh, so, yes, so Mitchell's a common name, but it is not quite that common. But Eric Mitchell, the founder of Professional Pricing Society from its start, uh, is my father. And he um, led the organization for several, several decades and then retired in early 2008 from the organization. Right, okay, because it was Eric who I first met. I think back in 2000, 2001 is the very first time that I spoke at one of the PPS conferences. And uh, I just, you know, I remember Eric uh, doing some talks and just I thought, boy, what a visionary to launch this organization back in the mid-'80s when pricing wasn't really thought of very much. Pricing's always been kind of an afterthought. I, I don't know what your marketing education was like. It was probably a lot deeper than mine, but it was always like pricing was held for the last, you know, week of the course or something. Nobody paid attention to it. And here's a guy who had the foresight and the prescience to, to build an organization, and, and I think you guys have turned it into a profession. Oh, thank you, Ron. I appreciate that. I think from an educational standpoint, my pricing upbringing may have been, at least from the academic side, not from the family work side, it probably was similar to yours and to quite a few others of us. Uh, I remember, you know, one or two great chapters in Philip Kotler's marketing textbooks when I would have been an undergraduate. Um, at University of Rochester, there was a specific pricing class, but only one, and now that school and a few others are starting to get pricing concentrations as this has grown over the years. But as far as specific pricing from an academic perspective, yes, I would say part of every marketing course, but kind of the fourth or fifth P mentioned, and then perhaps one extensive course when I was in B-School, and uh, it has grown a little bit over the years, but yes, it is hard to get education about pricing. It is getting easier for people who are in school now, but yes, it is sometimes rather hard to get that. And as far as our history and talk about pricing just kind of coming up, we were very lucky that um, our, founder, our founder, my father, Eric, was 
a pricing practitioner way before pricing was in the business mind frame and way before it was cool. Um, in fact, I would say going back to perhaps 1970, it may have been 1971 or 72. I was a small child at the time, so details are sketchy personally for me from back then. But he was a pricing practitioner for Ford Motor Company in Detroit, of course, and also Xerox in Rochester, New York, and Intel in the Bay Area. And again, this would have been in the, in the 70s, and he would have been the people who did pricing for a lot of those companies' goods in connections to other fields. And basically, our history is he was in corporate America and had pricing jobs way before pricing jobs were cool and grew tired of that after a while and became a consultant for several years around the same time that some of the literature was getting started up and people started to get interesting in the power of pricing and grew tired of that after a while and at some point just said, what if there were an organization where people would network, there would be publications where experts would write, and we would kind of connect the people who had the information with the people who were in search of the information. And that basically is how professional pricing society started. And as I mentioned, officially incorporated in 1984, but existed in kind of uh, introductory forms for a few years before that. So we have more than a 30-year history. Right. You know, I was really interested with your comment about now that pricing education now is becoming much easier, um, whereas before, you know, it was just like the last of the four Ps. In fact, Kevin, I think it comes back to prayer. Uh, in, the, in the four Ps of marketing, <laughs> at least the way it's traditionally been taught, but isn't there now, even at your alma mater, isn't there an MBA in pricing? And, and a few other universities do that as well? Yes, there is, actually. There is a concentration in pricing at University of Rochester. Um, and I know that there are some other business schools that have gone way beyond the introductory pricing classes and things like that, but there is a lot more advanced education available in certain B-schools for pricing knowledge. And so, yes, this is one thing that recently has come about, and now at our conferences and um, via various methods, I often get in touch with students who are coming up or getting their MBAs, and instead of pricing being a track where they started off in marketing or finance or accounting or operations, and their companies figured out that they needed pricing people and kind of switched people into pricing, now it, there is a switch where people are going to school for pricing and immediately getting pricing jobs right out of school and kind of continuing their education and their careers that way. So yes, that has been one kind of revolution within the pricing discipline has been the focus that the academics have put on it. Right, and it's possible now even to get a PhD in a field like yield or revenue management. Absolutely. That is true. It certainly is. So you can go ahead and, uh, uh, as a few people have done, get uh, a nice doctorate or uh, even more advanced degrees in related fields there. So the knowledge is continuing and growing in a few different ways there. Right. It's just that the topic fascinates me because we always talk about 
how multidisciplinary it is to be an effective pricer. You have to be part investment banker, part actuary, part account finance person, part economist, part psychologist. Do you think pricing is or has the potential to be a profession? I believe that it is a profession, and I also believe that it will continue to grow as a profession, and people are beginning to see the importance of it in a few different dimensions. But to address your first point, if I had a five-second kind of definition of what a pricing person would have to be, in addition to the things that you mentioned, I would say that he or she probably has to be both an artist and a scientist. And uh, you kind of chuckled at my interesting background where I was economics and English, but you know, if you want to communicate about economics or business issues, uh, I'm not going to say that I had the foresight when I was an undergraduate to plan that way, but in a lot of ways, that's kind of what pricing people have become and are becoming. They have to be analytical, of course. There's a lot of higher mathematics involved in it, but you also have to be kind of a change management, people, person, soft selling skills, because the things that you talk about doing, unless you can communicate them and get them across with other departments, then it really is purely academic. So I would say that, yes, you have to be an artist and a scientist in order to be a great pricing person. And to address the other part of your question there, We feel at Professional Pricing Society, it's one of our main jobs to make sure that people know about pricing as a profession, know about its importance on with the business world, and also know that there is a career in pricing, should you so so seek it, and also that there is a lot of advanced learning, there's a lot of networking around pricing, and there's a lot of information that you can get in order to help yourself out personally from a career perspective and also help your company, your employer, your corporation, your organization, your business unit, so on and so forth, survive and thrive through good work there. Right. I, you know, I, when I first attended my very first PPS conference, again, I think it was back in 2000, and, and of course I was just in Dallas with you this earlier this year, I am just amazed how much it has grown. And uh, the other, I think, you know, stark fact is there's a lot more women pricers now in the field. And I, I, I just think that you guys are so responsible for out the word and just elevating this entire discipline into the C-suite, giving it respect. It's no longer an afterthought. It's on everybody's radar screen. I mean, you know Ed and I work in the professional sector the most with advertising agencies and lawyers and CPAs, and they're all over this topic. And we say, we say look, if you want thought leadership, you, you've got to become a member of professional pricing society. It's, it's mandatory. Oh, thank you for the very nice forward, Ron. I appreciate that. Uh, We're lucky we have 5,000 members worldwide. And um, Ron, you are being very modest when you kind of say that you were at the last PPS conference. Uh, You were one of our honored keynote speakers, and I just went through all of our evaluations, and I'm almost certain that, you know, perhaps with your history of doing radio shows and talking across the globe about pricing and other issues, but I believe that you are were our most highly rated speaker. So I'm going to be in touch with you very soon about other speakers. 
speaking opportunities at other PPS events, of course. Um, you mentioned kind of the size of the discipline as it is growing, and you mentioned also another important thing, and that is the fact that there are a lot of women who are in pricing and who are entering pricing. Um, we may have had an effect on that. Let's see. Uh, it probably wasn't done on purpose, but I know that through our events and through some of our social media networking that um, our events for years had special sessions about women in pricing and the challenges that they would face and the growth of the number of women who are entering the field. And also, as far as the size as this is growing, there are a few different reasons why it is getting bigger and getting a lot more attention with both senior management, with people who are looking for jobs, um, you know, with company owners who are looking to perform better. And that is, of course, that if you're going to be great at a lot of things, but you're not great at your pricing, then that's going to limit what you can do from a bottom line perspective. Uh, of course, you have to have great products and great people and things like that, but there are lots of studies. There's the McKinsey study that we saw in a book called The Price Advantage probably 15 years ago, and lots of other examples will show that if you can get a little bit better in your pricing, the effect on your company's bottom line is huge. It's a, a, a magnified effect there. And so a lot of the size and the growth that's come around pricing is people are figuring this out, that pricing is very important. Uh, ideally, a pricing person or the head of a pricing organization or sometimes even people who don't have pricing in their title but do pricing as their job. They could be a vice president of marketing or, or something like that. But um, folks like this are realizing that Pricing performance is very key to the bottom line. And, yes, we're lucky at our events, at our American conferences twice a year. We have well over 500 people who attend their nice four-day events where I get to meet old friends and make new friends and connect with academics and thought leaders like yourself and also the practitioners and people who do software and who do consulting. And we basically get everyone together and take over a pretty large hotel for the better part of a week and network with each other and learn a lot and have a great opportunity to meet each other. So we are thrilled to see the growth in it. Uh, I'm honored if our organization has had a small part of that growth and we are just looking to basically continue the focus on the pricing discipline and we're looking to get our folks better trained and connected with each other in order to keep improving there. And Kevin, you mentioned you have 5,000 members, which is very impressive in professional pricing society. What are some, what's kind of the demographics or the makeup? I mean, there's a lot of large companies there, but what are some of the other demographics that go into that 5,000? Well, I would say, first of all, from a geographic perspective, uh, we are an American company, of course, and so uh, a slight majority of our members are based in North America. I think the last time I actually looked at the numbers, which was probably a few months ago, I think we're probably around the low 60s as a percentage who are from the U.S. and Canada. The next largest group from a geographic standpoint would be in Western and Northern Europe, and that's probably upper T 
teens, maybe a little bit more as a percentage, but we've also grown a lot in other areas across the globe outside of North America and Europe, so I would say 5% each, uh, maybe a little bit more in Asia Pacific and Latin America, with the rest kind of spread out through Australia, uh, Africa, Middle East, and so on there. Um, other demographics from our perspective from an industry perspective or a vertical perspective, we certainly do not have a dominating industry type or vertical or anything like that. We have several large pluralities, I would say, and these might include heavy goods manufacturers, other industrial concerns, high-tech, telecom, retail, life sciences, chemicals, and energy folks off the top of my head. And I would say all of those groups might be somewhere between, uh, I would say, 5 to 10 to 15% of our membership overall. So we definitely don't have any dominating industry types or you know business types, but we have good representation kind of throughout there. Um, other demographics of PPS members, as far as... One interesting one that we always look at in our surveys is how long you've been in pricing, and there we have kind of a good spread also. There are quite a few people who have been in pricing for 10 years or more, even some who have been around for 20 years or more. Uh, It's a relatively small percentage due to the growth in pricing, so we see much higher percentages, of course, in people who might be 5 to 10 years or 2 to 5 years or relatively new. And, uh, of course, we would like to see more chief pricing officers and things like that and have a lot more demographically people with pricing titles, uh, VP and upper levels, senior management levels there. We do have a few of those, but uh, the largest group, by at least by title, would have managers somewhere in their title. And uh, we would also have other large groups that would be either director or analyst and uh, a significant number and a growing number, but still a relatively small number of senior managers compared to the number of managers and analysts and directors there. And um, let's see, other demographic things, when we've looked at gender, that has, as you've mentioned, become, I guess, more normal or normative over time, where if you go back a few decades, it would have been not exclusively male, but certainly um, almost predominantly male. And now I would say amongst young pricers, it's probably 30 to 40% women, and for PPS membership overall, I think we're probably around 25% women, but both of those numbers are increasing there. So uh, demographically, we're lucky in that our group is worldwide, even though um, a little bit more heavily situated in North America and Western Europe, of course, following kind of the, uh, the global economies, the largest economies worldwide, but a lot of growth in Asia-Pacific and also in Latin America and elsewhere. And demographically, let's see, one other dimension would be our organization probably skews a little bit more than the business world at whole, um, as a whole, towards business-to-business types of organizations. Uh, We do have significant number of consumer concerns, retail concerns, but um, I would say that business to business probably accounts for 60% or more of our membership, 
with kind of a combined approach, you know, maybe, as you would say, B to B to C or a straight B to C accounting for the rest. Those might both be around 20% there. Sorry, when I get uh, talking about demographics, I get excited. That's my <laughs> No, I, 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 I got some more questions for you, but unfortunately, we're up against a break. And, folks, we'd like to remind you to check out our new website, thesoulofenterprise.com. You can listen to the show. We'll post show notes with Kevin up there, and, and uh, we'll put some information up about the Professional Pricing Society, and you can think about joining that as a member. We highly recommend it. We think anybody who is at all serious about pricing needs to be a member of this organization. In the meantime, we want to take a break and hear from our sponsor, Azamba. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What if you could close more business with less effort and do it faster? What could your people accomplish if they had their own personal assistant keeping track of meetings and reminding them of follow-ups? What would it mean to have a perfect view of what your team and your prospects and your customers are doing? What if you could run your business from anywhere? You can have it all. Visit www.azamba.com forward slash soul today to find out how. That's azamba, A-Z-A-M-B-A dot com forward slash soul. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, we're back with Kevin Mitchell, the president of the Professional Pricing Society. And, and Kevin, I'd be remiss if I didn't pick up on something in your bio and ask you about Duke University. My brother works for Duke. So uh, were you excited about the Blue Devils this year? Absolutely. 1991, 1992, 2001, 2010, and 2015. Uh-huh. Up, tear him up, give him hell, Duke. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever make it to a game in, in Cameron Hall? Uh, I missed four games my four years as an undergrad. So, oh, my um, gosh. <laughs> uh, I figure for about 15 a year, I think I went to 56 or so out of the 60. And wow. I would have graduated before our first national championship, but I was there when uh, teams were going to Final Fours. And uh, so, yeah, it was good to see America's team, the Duke Blue Devils, cut down the net this year. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Apologies like, I, to I, my I, I, UNC friends and, uh, and <laughs> Virginia friends and, and Georgia Tech friends and, and otherwise. Yeah, that's so, that's so yeah. insincere. 
<laughs> but that's okay. No, my brother works for Duke, and I had the the good fortune of of, of going to a game this year for the first time the, the night before Thanksgiving, and we sat in the Shashevsky family seats. Uh, oh, wow! In the, in the on the third row, right right behind the the scorers table, it was it was quite the blast. And I have to say, I got my first stare from Coach K because he's like, "What are you doing in my family seat?" <laughs> <laughs> Nice. But anyway, and I think I'm going to guess uh, that your reaction upon going to Cameron was the same as many people's first reactions, where it really is like the size of a medium large high school gym. I mean, it's a bandbox. It's a, uh, it is. a tiny place where everyone's right on top of you. It, it is, but it was. I will say one of the one of the most fantastic sports experiences I've had in my life. So it was, it was a lot of fun, and it was a game against you know a meaningless game against you know Furman or something. Um, they were up by thirty at the half. But anyway, let's back to pricing. It was free seats too, by the way. Um, <laughs> on, with, with regard to, to, to pricing, what I, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, pick up on a, on on something that you mentioned to to Ron, is. Organizations that have been around a while where there it hasn't been a specific pricing function that has been in place for some time, what are you seeing as the evolution of the, those organizations? How do, how do they begin to go about it? Are they, are they hiring prices straight out or they're just having people who dabble in it and then go and get exposure to professional pricing society? Is there, is there one key way that you're seeing people make the transition from not having a pricing function to having a pricing function? Ed, I don't think there's one key way where people make that transition. Um, with all organizations of any size, of course, there always is someone or someone within a product group or within the business who has made what we would call pricing decisions. But in a lot of organizations, and even a lot of organizations now, big organizations, that person may not have pricing in their title or even recognize that they make pricing decisions. Uh, for example, at a very basic level, someone who's a VP of sales or a sales manager, one of their sales team brings them a deal, it's a great potential new customer, they're asking for X percent off of list, do you give it to them with the thought that, okay, they'll be a great customer down the road, but you're a little afraid that if you give them this discount, it's going to be a recurring thing? You know, at the very basics of it, that's a pricing decision, even if it's made in sales or something like that. But what I'm seeing from our member companies, if they have not had a pricing function and they start to have a pricing function, is that there are a few different ways that they can do this. Um, one way is they would take someone who has shown acumen in a few different areas, kind of like we were talking about with Ron, you know, someone who's a scientist and an artist and who knows the products, and basically they have taken a person or a team and said, guess what, Mr. Kletz, you are now our new pricing department, and you'll be given a perhaps a, a budget and a way to hire a team and certain goals and so on and so forth in order to make that happen. Uh, another way that I've seen people do it is they have sought out organizations such as our organization and others and asked for information there on where to get started, who might make for a good pricing team, how they begin the training, what, the, what they should do, and so on and so forth. I would say a third potential way of doing this might be through 
large or sometimes even smaller consulting companies who have expertise in the area, who have worked in management strategy, maybe with a concentration in pricing or related fields, and they have basically contracted with large consultants or large organizations and said, we want to get better at this. Uh, number one, how do we do it? And number two, organizationally, how do we kind of change in order to keep fostering that, in order to keep doing that? And so you can certainly get outside help in building your own pricing organization and also kind of getting those initial steps going and saying, okay, this is what you've done, you know, something very basic. Here's a scatter plot of your biggest hundred deals from last year. You know, we'll put price as a um, percentage of a list price on one axis, and we'll put sales maybe on a log scale on another axis, and you'll see the typical shotgun spread. There's no rhyme or reason there, for example. It's not your biggest customers who are getting your best deal. It's your best negotiators who are getting your best deal. Here's how you change that, and so on and so forth. Um, People are beginning to look for young people coming up who have been trained in pricing from an academic perspective in order to kind of come into their organization, bring the latest and greatest ideas in there also in order to kind of foster the growth there. And there have been uh, a few different organizations who have done things in a few different ways. Uh, Within Professional Pricing Society, we do often get calls and say, hey, I was searching for pricing because some senior VP says we haven't been good at this and we need to get a lot better, and how do we do that? And that's when I would recommend, of course, our membership and our training events that we have, both electronically and in person, and also some of the networking forums where someone as a new pricer or someone who was a marketer or a financier or an operations and who didn't volunteer to be a pricer but was voluntold by someone higher in the organization that you are now a pricing specialist can go and get information there. So we're kind of lucky now compared to a few decades ago because we are in the midst of a golden age for pricing information. Uh, I would like to think that our organization has had a part of that, you know, getting people together on four continents at our five major conferences throughout the year, but also there has been just a great influx of great pricing thought leadership from a lot of different places, geographically and otherwise, from a lot of different industries. And so now with the connectivity that we all have electronically, it's easier sometimes to get information and get started there is a wealth of great knowledge out there. There are a lot of great books out there. Um, the Soul of Enterprise book, written by one Mr. Ron Baker and one Mr. Ed Kless. I'm lucky enough to have a, a signed copy. Has, uh, of course, a lot about economics and about business, but there are some pricing lessons in there, of course. And so we're in kind of an age now where for people who are starting pricing functions, who are going to make that evolution to have a pricing department, you know, whether it 
reports into senior management or marketing or finance or even a sales group or wherever, there are a lot of different ways that they can get information and get in touch with the people that can help them originate that. And there are also lots of ways that they can kind of recruit, train, motivate people both internally and externally, be they from uh, third parties or future employees, to kind of bring them into the fold and to organically start an organization. Um, of course, that was my two-minute explanation of it. It's not that easy. Sometimes it requires a cultural shift, but uh, that's why pricing people are going to get the big bucks. Well, sure. And what I think is interesting, you know, you, you mentioned about the, the McKinsey study, which I assume you, you mean that the, the one that effectively shows a, basically a 1% increase to price can lead to about a, an 11% increase to profit. Right. And I think what, what I've, what I've come across is in, in that whole idea of the 1% windfall, right? Take 1% of your revenue and just drop it to your bottom line. And what does that do? If, and if you can, if you can concentrate on your pricing function to increase your pricing by 1%, man, what, what, what could happen if you could do it by five to 10? And, and I, and what I think Ron and I can, can attest to this, but what we see is when we take, talk to people about this or say, and oh, by the way, when you're discounting by 5, 10, 20%, you're doing this in reverse. Absolutely. Um, I know that you've had a guest on your show previously who's a gentleman named Reed Holden, and I've of known Reed for many, many years, as you have also, I'm sure. And one of the things I remember that he has said at one of our events is that if you are starting a new pricing function, you know, you're, you've decided you're going to make this evolution and you're going to do this. There are a lot of things that you can do on the top end to get a lot better, but the quickest thing that you can do is kind of as you mentioned. You know, there are some automatic discounts in there for customers who happily will take those discounts and think that they will go on forever. But in a lot of cases, if you can stop giving away the shop, and the way that Dr. Holden put it was stop doing dumb blank. And he said if you can kind of cut those out. Reed is South Boston, so I'm not going to try to even <laughs> repeat his terms there. But uh, exactly, if you can kind of cut the discounting habit, to use a familiar term there, and basically get a little stronger with your organization and say, you know, I know that we've done this for years. We don't even know why we've been discounting this group for years. Our company provides great value in our products and services. And so, yes, sometimes the easiest windfall is to stop doing the uh, dumb blank things that you've been doing for a long time and don't know why, and basically to use your management acumen, you know, your change management skills, your analytical skills to kind of overcome that. Outstanding. And we're going to ask you some more after we come back from our next break, but we do have to, to go and pay our bills this way. But we want to remind you that before we go to the break, please take a look at our new website, thesoulofenterprise.com. Thanks, Kevin, for the mention of the book. You can also tweet us at AskTSOE hashtag. We do monitor that during the show. And please keep those cards and letters coming, uh, most specifically to TSOE at verisage.com. Those emails will go both to Ron and myself, and we're happy to answer your questions. But right now, we're going to take our break and hear from my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the nine million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And back with Kevin Mitchell, president of the Professional Pricing Society. Kevin, I'm going to get a little wonky on you here. I hope you're you're okay with this. (laughs) And I, I want to ask you about uh, two related issues in, in my mind, um, you know, charm pricing, 99 cent pricing or $99 pricing, and then how it potentially applies to small business. And here's why I'm asking it. You know, one, one of the, the things that we see is, you know, Apple, clearly one of the, the better pricers on the planet, use charm pricing. You know, the Lotus, the, the iPad is 499 right? Uh, but I don't know if you followed this or it, but they, in the new release of the Apple Watch, their addition model, the higher end stuff, they're going for seventeen thousand, not sixteen thousand nine hundred ninety nine, but seventeen thousand. <laughs> and I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are as you surveyed this on charm pl- pricing. But do you think the charm pricing really only applies to lower end products and small businesses, or is it is it just a, a matter of preference? Do you have any thoughts on that? Um. I do have a slight preference, but I would like to say that basically the literature around charm pricing and around the numbers used in pricing kind of state that in the past we would have thought that, okay, people really don't make the connection that $1.99 is really $2.00. Uh, I'm not so sure that that is correct. I think that this is a case where by your pricing, you can kind of talk a little bit about your product. I think that the price you set on your product is often the first feature or benefit for it. Um, often it's the first question that your customer will have. And so there's a lot in the pricing literature that says term pricing, you know, having a 99 or a 95 on there means that something is a particularly good value where a big round number pricing does kind of mean that it's more of an established luxury good. At least that's what the, um, the theories are. And in a lot of cases, I would agree with that. And it, it's interesting about Apple's approach, and Apple is very famous amongst pricing people because, you know, hey, the $599 iPad, if you are a nonprofit who does business in uh, sub-Saharan Africa and you want a million iPads, 
the price is going to be $599 million. I mean, we're pretty sure right now that Apple's not going to discount you for, for anything on that. So it's kind of interesting that with their luxury good, they kind of are following a lot of the theories and a lot of the literature, and they're saying that, hey, this is a top-of-the-line thing. We're not even going to fool around with telling you it's 16995 You know what that is. We're just going to make it the, uh, the grand 17000 to let you know that this is a premium thing that we don't kind of have to play around with the term pricing in order to, uh, to move it there. Um, Apple's things that are geared more toward the main market still do have those uh, those charm prices, those special numbers, the 99s and the 95s. And I think that maybe their theory on that is that even though they are Apple, they're one of these brands where, hey, driving around, I see people with Apple bumper stickers and stickers on their cars all the time, people who love Apple, really love Apple. And I think that their statement with their charm pricing is that it's kind of a best of both worlds. You get the Apple ease of use and style and sleek looks with everything, but also you're kind of getting a, a deal there. Um, there are a couple different theories on that, but I think that is where they're headed on that. And another place that as consumers we see that a lot also would be kind of on menu prices where the fancy French or Italian restaurant in your town will just say, hey, these entrees are $25 or $35. They won't even put a dollar sign on it. It'll just say 25 or 30 But your chilies, you know, your kind of middle market, Applebee's, so on and so forth, things will be $6.99, $15.99, so on and so forth. So I think that that's the, the thinking around that. And as far as how it would apply to a small business, it may be a case where the Apple approach is a good one with your high-end offerings with the things that are your pick of the litter, the things that are the best things that you have to offer, maybe a more round number price, kind of psychologically with all the behavioral economics, things that are going on right now, maybe that sends a message about what that product is. And maybe with your more budget offering, a so-called charm price also sends a message there that that's a little bit of a, uh, of a, of a deal. Anyway, my theories on that. What do you think on that one, Ed? <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm I'm not a big fan of charm pricing overall, but I, I'm very curious about it because, I, and especially with Apple, uh, because it, to me they they would of anyone they would be the ones to say, hey, listen, you know, five hundred bucks for the iPad because they don't have to. But clearly, they they I, I'm sure that Apple does not do anything without doing some research. Uh, but that's one of the things that I would really love to see is some studies on is is charm pricing and uh, across the market. So, but I'll, I'm going to let Ron jump in here for the last last little bit. So take it away, Ron. Uh, Kevin, it's just interesting on that. The first time I spoke at PPS, I met a pricer who ran experiments in some of the gift shops where he removed the charm pricing on some of the items that you can buy, you know, there, like the tchotchke items. And he said, right. yeah, you're right. There doesn't seem to be much of an effect here. So I do think a round number, whether it's 450 or $5, sends a better quality message. But I've got a question for you that we love to ask all the pricers that come on. So we've asked Reed Holden and Bob Cross, and I'll, I'll ask you, it might be an unfair question, and ask it anyway. Uh, which industry do you see are the leaders of pricing? 
I would think that a lot of the pricing science that started now happened right after airline deregulation. And, of course, Robert Cross developed software and worked with a lot of those folks. But uh, I would say that much to the sometimes dismay of yours truly, and probably you also, Ron, who I know travels across the globe, um, I would say that that's one where I would say airlines um, travel and hospitality have become very, very good at that. And I would say that they are one of the industries that does it extremely well. I remember seeing a quote from a gentleman at American Airlines, and basically he said, okay, you've got 200 people on an airplane, and you've got 40 different price points for those 200 people. And what do you make of that? And his response was, well, that means we're 160 prices short. So they've been... They've been very good at um, at that, you know, basically by letting people kind of self-segregate. If you make a last-minute flight, you're probably a business traveler who has to be there, no questions asked or something like that. So that's going to be a lot more than if you reserve four flights in a row eight months from now. You're probably a family taking a vacation or something like that. So there'll be different price points there. And they've become very good at that since airline deregulation. So that's one industry that I would say does a, um, a, a pretty good job. Um, another one would be, I think, various heavy goods manufacturers and some other big industrial concerns have kind of used the science and used analytics and used big data and a lot of the buzzwords that we hear now to become very good at elevating their pricing knowledge and becoming much better at avoiding superfluous discounts and kind of getting the value that their products would basically provide and, you know, getting compensated for the value that those products would provide. And so I would say that they are also increasingly good at it. I know that within PPS, if you ask our members who's really, really good at pricing, a few examples would come out would be people who do electronics, and uh, who make the connectors where a million of them might go into a, uh, a small piece of machinery or something like that. You know, the electronic connectors and the goodies that make all of our electronic goodies work. And I know of one example where a company sells some of these connectors and a lot of these electronic things that can go for dozens or hundreds per penny but they become very good at saying, okay, company A uses a few, billion, a few billion of these and it saves them this on their bottom line versus a competitor where company B, this might as well just be a hammer and a nail. Anyone as good as another one and so on and so forth. And so a lot of people in electronics have been doing a very good job at taking a look at what their products are being used for, uh, using some techniques where they say, okay, we know how much money we make with our customer. How much money does our customer make from a business-to-business perspective around doing business with us? And we want to make sure that everything is equitable there, and we want to make sure that we're getting the value, compensated on the value that we provide them, but we also want to make sure that they are getting value downstream from using our goods there. So off the top of my head, those are three industries that are doing a, uh, a pretty good job there. I know a lot of people would say, well, what about the, um, the telecom folks where 
It's, uh, to use the Dilbert term, I think he used about this, where it's a confusopoly, where no one knows exactly what they're paying for and what they're doing, but everyone kind of goes along with it and doesn't really question it. But lately, they've been discounting and going at each other more. From a com- consumer perspective, I think that that was one that has been good, but might seem to be in a little bit of flux now. So a few examples. Well, there. hey, Kevin. Well, thank you very much. We, we have got to get running here. This has been absolutely fantastic, and we really appreciate um, you being a guest on the show, and, and thanks for uh, dealing with our technical difficulties. Uh, Ron, are you still on? I am. I'm here, yes. All right. What do we got coming up next week? Uh, we have We Talk a lot. is a former Disney executive. So we're really excited to talk to him about how some of that pixie dust happen. All right, sounds good. Well, thank, th- thanks, guys, and we'll, we'll appreciate it. next time on the Soul of Enterprise. See you on, in 167 hours. Thanks so much, Kevin. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business and the knowledge economy sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. Join us next week at Friday on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please visit us at thesoulofenterprise.com. One, two, three, four.